<laughs> I was just laughing to myself at the stupid name of this thing. Um, but that lies with me because I'm the one that names these episodes. <laughs> uh, this is episode 39, Duke of Hazard. <laughs> um, we have ourselves, hold on, I'm opening something. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's not a beer. It's a Celsius energy drink. This episode brought to you by Celsius. I wish. Um, this is episode 39, Dukes of Hazard. Duke of Hazard, rather, because of uh, an incident involving BYU University and the Duke women's volleyball team. We have our kind of latest incident, and obviously a long line of incidences like this, where we have to start asking questions along the lines of when will there be consequences for members of our media who run with these stories? For those of you who are not initiated, uh, the story was a couple few days old, and there's a reason why it didn't really pop up on the national scene as much as it, incidences like these have in the past, some credit. A uh, Duke volleyball player by the name of Rachel Richardson claimed that while she was on the court serving, and there's more to this, that uh, a BYU crowd was hostile towards her and her teammates, uh, which included shouting and hurling racial epithets at her and racial slurs. You can guess what that might be. Um, a few news outlets pick this up, and they're always the same worst actors. We, of course, had ESPN and Stephen Smith, which if you listen to my podcast, I had that clip, which is the most I ever have to listen to Stephen Smith for the year again. Uh, you obviously had CNN and Brianna Keelar approach this, and uh, this is an interesting one to me because CNN claims that we're going to be less partisan, more investigative-driven, whatever, and this seems to have flown right in the face of all of that. So I guess we'll see if Chris Lick means it. Um, we, of course, have uh, the uh, always reliable Jameel Hill, who highlighted a column by Mike Freeman of USA Today, saying, fantastic column. Honestly, Duke should have canceled the rest of the series in sport of Rachel Richardson. Why they continue to play is beyond me. The article she's quoting is a young black woman named Rachel Richardson is a victim, but she's also more than that. She's a hero surrounded by a lot of people who failed her. Uh, the, the main uh, storyline that came out of this was that BYU did not do enough sooner to contain this incident. Um, somebody was escorted out of the arena where they basically blame this person once uh, Richardson and her teammates said that this person over here was shouting the N-word at us. So barring an investigation, uh, police just escorted this person back and said, you are permanently banned. And this then story, of course, rocketed around, and it made its way to Good Morning America, and as I noted, CNN, and as I noted, the same actors that perpetrate this stuff every single time. I don't so much blame people like Jameel Hill. This is what she's paid to do. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, obviously you blame her for pushing this stuff constantly. But networks such as ABC, uh, CNN, they have full teams of producers, writers uh, who meet and they go over stories. And not once along the editorial process, because these shows do still have an editorial process, did anyone stop to say, should we vet this? You know, we got burned on Nicholas Sandman. We've gotten burned on these things before. We got burned on Jesse Smollett. Should we stop this and at least wait to see if there's an investigation or whatever? Nowhere along that process did anybody stop and say that. So it makes it to air. 
Brianna Keelar had Rachel Richardson's god or, uh, father on to talk about this. And again, remind you, this was at the time completely uncorroborated. So they went ahead and ran with it anyway. And in the segment, uh, it says Marvin Richardson, father of Duke volleyball player Rachel Richardson, was called Ra- who was called Rachel Slurs during a match at BYU. The, there is no alleged here. It's Brianna Keelar's Twitter account is stating that this happened for a fact. It says a quote: "I have four daughters that play the game three at college level. We've always had that occasional idiot in the crowd, but never an atmosphere like this." So they're blaming the university as a whole. Of course, as the story came out, and now as it tempered down, there was investigation. A campus investigation by police found they could not find any corroborating evidence that this ever happened. They spoke to several students, including, and this also, this was the Salt Lake Star Tribune, including also the student newspaper, the BYU Cougar Chronicle. I'm pretty sure I got that name right. And they interviewed several students in the crowd who couldn't verify this. They said, we didn't, we never heard a thing. I'm going to break down a Twitter thread by Leon Wolf, which I also did on the podcast earlier today, um, stating that they reviewed footage, live footage, surveillance footage with sound, and they, could, they couldn't pick it up. Furthermore, she claimed that she heard it every single time that she served, and as did her godmother. And she's a real piece of work. We'll get into her here in a second. And the problem being, the person that she pointed out in the crowd as being the person shouting it, wasn't even in their seat at during one of the times or a couple of times that she was serving. The other time they were playing around on their phone. Now this guy or this person hasn't been identified and that's probably the only saving grace, saving a lawsuit here by some of these media companies and probably maybe against the Richardson family themselves. Um, I, As I stated on my podcast, I'm willing to give the girl the benefit of the doubt here. I don't think this is a full-on Juicy Smollett. I'm staging a race hoax in the hopes of furthering my public profile. Maybe because this stuff gets rewarded a lot, as we've seen. Media, she did an interview with Good Morning America. Um, however, I think that this is a little bit different in the sense of I think the competition was heated up. I gave an anecdote on my podcast about things that I've seen and done in hockey. Um, And I think that the atmosphere, of course, is competitive. It's college sports. So maybe she heard something else. This this story to me was so reminiscent of the Colorado Rockies uh, mascot, which I already went into my podcast. And just forget this whole story to me is like Twitter brain that you, 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 online world has so rotted your brain and you live in such a race driven environment that everything you see or hear around you must be race driven or racist. And that's who Jameel Hill is. Um, But the incident of the Colorado Rockies baseball game where the mascot's name is Dinger. It's a triceratops. Don't ask me why. I know why, but I don't need to go into it. And an individual was yelling at the mascot to come over to him and his kid. And he was yelling, Dinger! Well, a bunch of media geniuses spread this clip online and uh, a few from Media Matters and then this just spread like wildfire. Again, amongst the usual suspects. The Colorado Rockies in, uh, gave out a statement. They said, we're looking into this, we're looking at an investigation, and this should never happen, and da-da-da-da. And much less, it shouldn't happen in the city that they moved the All-Star game because of racism. <laughs> um... 
And it turned out that the fan was yelling the name of the mascot. And none of these smooth brain geniuses thought that somebody, and this goes along to a crowded gymnasium, that anyone yelling the N-word in this day and age repeatedly where nobody steps in, where they're in a crowded arena or a ballpark in the middle of the afternoon, and they think that someone's just going to be yelling the N-word over and over and over again without even so much going, hey, dude, maybe don't do that. (laughs) That would be the least of the things that would happen. Um, Leon Wolf, who is the, uh, who's editor of a uh, managing editor of the blaze had a pretty good breakdown of a thread on this whole incident going even into who her godmother is. And I'm just going to kind of read this, uh, going down and he breaks this whole thing down pretty, you know, pretty much down to completely debunking. And he says, let's review what we know about Rachel Richardson. He throws in the Jesse Smollett thing. And I'm not going to go there because, like I said, I think that this is probably a little bit different. Some of you, once you get up on the call, will probably argue with me on that. Um, But I'm willing to at least give her the benefit of the doubt for now. He says, uh, let's review what we know about Rachel Richardson's godmother, Lessa Pamplin, and the things we already know here lies in the story. Uh, Richardson and Pamplin told... He says, the one person in the story we can say for certain has definitively, repeatedly used racial slurs is Pamplin, who protected her Twitter account, but not after people started pulling the receipts. One of the tweets says, uh, my goddaughter is the only black starter for Duke volleyball team. While playing yesterday, she was called uh, N-word, but she uses the word every time she served. She was threatened by a white man who told her to watch her back going to the team bus. A police officer had to be put by the bench. He says, one of the central claims Pamplin originally made, also, uh, Pamplin is running uh, for a, a county seat in West Texas. She's running for office under, I believe, the Democratic Party. Wolf continues saying, one of the central claims Pamplin originally made to betray her claims was that the police were called and sat at the end of the Duke bench. She later amplified this claim to say that taunts got louder and louder when the police came to the bench. So let's put a pin in this one and come back to it later because it's important. Here is video of the entire game, and he he links to a YouTube link of the Duke versus BYU game. He says, you will note the claim specifically was that this happened in the second set. The Duke bench is repeatedly shown uh, during and after. The person BYU threw under the bus uh, to make the situation go away was innocent. This person was used by people to lend credibility to the story. See, even BYU found the guy ejected him. The problem is that video shows he didn't do it. Uh, oh, God, I lost, I lost my tweet. Here we go. Uh, yeah, he, said, uh, he says a little more on this. And this is, this is corroborated by surveillance video uh, from the campus investigation. A little more on this guy. The way he became uh, the patsy is that he was specifically identified by Richardson as the guilty party. She likely picked him out because he did, in fact, have a conversation with her after the game. That conversation appears to have been completely harmless in nature, as detailed in the Tribune article. But a review of the video shows that when he approached Richardson, she does not act at all like he had been shouting a racial slur at her all game. Of course, the most damning thing in all of this is police reviewed the tape and determined this was not even in his seat when the alleged slurs were being cast. Weirdly, after police exonerated this person, BYU threw under the bus. The athletic department at BYU didn't want the police to review any more footage to help them catch the person at the center of the story. For some reason, and he points to the Tribune article, 
He says, look at this, Jim. When asked if police had reviewed footage further to see who was yelling the slur because they were able to see that the banned UV, UVU student likely was not, Bissendenfor uh, said the police department is no longer looking at video. He said the task of reviewing the footage has been taken over by BYU Athletics and the school's communication administration. Bessendorfer is a police spokesman. He said, Athletics and University Communication, they are looking at all of that. It's unclear whether any staff have forensic experience in investigating video footage or university spokesmen did not immediately respond to a request for comment. He says, no person among the thousands in attendance has heard the alleged slurs yelled at Richardson. No one among the thousands of people in attendance has come forward with video of it even happening. If your conspiracy is that the entirety of the student section is keeping quiet because they're all white supremacists covering for each other, it does not explain that several black members of the BYU basketball team said nothing. I'm going to jump in and say that that's exactly what people like Jameel Hill will say. That the reason why nobody spoke up at the Colorado Rockies game or that nobody spoke up is because they are too also all white and because BYU is a racist white institution uh, and it needs to be taken down and every student there needs to be t- uh, read the 1619 Project. That is what she believes, that no one's coming forward because they too are white supremacists. That's exactly what she believes. He notes that uh, the BYU basketball team, he says they were sitting right next to the area of the student section where the slurs were allegedly coming from and were shown on video several times during the match. No None reacted in a way like someone was yelling the N-word over and over right next to them, and none has reported hearing it. Coming back to that police officer and the claim that the chants got louder and louder after he was called in the first place, the police have, how do we say this politely, disputed the exact version of events being sold by Richardson. From the article, the police report provides for the first time a more detailed timeline of what happened and the response by BYU during the match, and some of it does not match what the players recounted happened to them. Richardson said she alerted the Duke coaching staff immediately after hearing the racial slurs in the second set. At that point, Duke coaches told both the officials and the BYU coaches, she said. According to the police report, BYU told an officer about the issue during the third set of the match and elected to put a police officer near the Duke bench before the fourth set. No one identified the person making the slurs at the time. Leon Wolf notes, here's where it gets starts to get really obvious that the story is a hoax. Beyond the absence of evidence that this occurred, it turns out that the people went looking for it at the time. It was alleged to have been happening and indeed escalating. Back to the Tribune article, the officer said in his report he didn't personally hear any slurs. Well, that's because he's police and we have to defund them. While he was visibly standing there listening, he said all he heard was BYU fans calling specific Duke players by their first names. So here they would be saying Rachel. Holomo said that BYU sent four ushers and an officer into the stands looking for the person who said the racial slur as he spoke during the interview with CNN. Richardson has since said he wanted the match to continue at that point and felt her own coaches had taken necessary steps to stem the action. By the fourth set, though, Richardson said the racial slurs escalated. She also said that some of her teammates were subject to taunting from the crowd. Welcome to college sports. In the fourth set, this is a quote, said, we told, uh, we went back to that side. It was almost as if the atmosphere of the student section had changed. Even my black teammates who were on the bench who don't play were being called out, pointed at. It was really confusing as to why. That's when the racial slurs and heckling just grew more and more intense. So here she's not pointing to one person. She's saying the heckling and the slurs by the entire student body. This apparently happened 
and it was on ESPN and nobody heard it. He says, now here's where we're finally getting to what probably actually happened, which I've underlined. He says, the police officer said he talked to coaching staff from both teams that night, learned that Duke staff members were mad that he didn't take action during the fourth set while the taunting continued. They said black players were being called out by name only while none of the white players. I told the athletic staff that I've never heard one racial comment being made, he wrote in his report. The officer reported, who also talked to others, who said that they did not hear a slur. He said, best of luck to BYU's athletic department in what I am sure will be an extensive search to find the guilty person. And he says, here's one uh, tidbit from the Tribune article. It also raises questions about what in the investigation will be public. BYU's police department is subject to public records requests. Other departments, including athletics at the private school operated by the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints are not. So I guess those shifty Mormons might close the door on this investigation or something. I don't know. Uh, The point of this is there is more evidence to this not happening than there is evidence of it happening. And this is something that continues to uh, be perverse in our media, which is we get one account. We're going to run with that account because that's what serves our interests, which is the racial narrative. And we're going to ignore the rest of this. Um, I am probably going to be writing more about this uh, at Examiner. Um, I want to give it a day to see if myself and others who directly address this with Brianna Keelar's Twitter account and Jamil Hill's Twitter account and uh, who the ESPN bonehead and ESPN itself, as well as uh, Dan Guerra from NPR, who wrote that this factually happened as well. And as I said, NPR is one of the usual suspects to issue a retraction or at the very least a correction, or at the very least to say the, the absolute very least that they could do is say that we've, we have more information and that's somehow changed. Um, as I've said, I, I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that maybe she heard something. Um, but what I will say and putting myself on the spot here, as I, and I said this on my podcast today, as someone who still, competes in sports uh, as a captain of my own men's beer league slap shot hockey team. I can tell you that when, <laughs> when you get annoyed by a player on a team or another player team, it's not above it to, to go to the refs and say, Hey, this guy's calling this guy over here is calling my team a fag and using that. And it's worked. It's absolutely worked for me in the past. It worked once. I've only used it twice, but it worked once. So whether or not she's using this to say, you know, to manipulate because of the competition, because she didn't like the environment, because they got under her skin or not, I think that that's most likely the case. And now it's blown up into this huge thing. And so now she just has to sit on it and we'll see. So, but it appears that we have another instance, as we did with Bubba Wallace, uh, that we have with Nicholas Sandman and that we have with several other instances of this happening. Jesse Smollett is an, inst- an instance in the same realm. I'm just saying that I think Rachel Richardson is different. And the question becomes, what is it going to take for this kind of stuff to stop? Because the harm isn't that it makes, you know, crackerjack white guys like me look bad. I don't care about that. I've been called a racist 30 times today on Twitter already and once by a Taylor Lorenz clone at NBC. That's something I'm going to have to address. They're just, every network's like, we need to go get a Taylor Lorenz. She brings clicks. And so I don't care so much about that, but there are real 
hate crimes that are happening in this country. Uh, Joshua Kraskow is from, uh, God, where is he now? Is he political? Noted that since 2018, of all the racially motivated hate crimes towards Orthodox Jews in New York City, many of which are caught on camera, only one person has been found and served a day in jail. Haven't seen too many Orthodox Jews on CNN, have we? Haven't seen Jamila Hill talking about this happening in New York City, have we? Haven't seen our national media really talking about this. Um, we haven't seen our national media really breathlessly covering the staggering amount of hate crimes against Asian Americans in San Francisco and Oakland. You can all take your private guesses as to why that is. But when you elevate stories like this, and when you elevate stories uh, specifically meant to make a group of people, in this case, BYU, look bad, it, it denigrates the actual crimes against actual minorities. And yes, there are, there are actual racial motive, racially motivated crimes towards African Americans by white people in this country. My question is, if that happens as much as we're led to believe it happens, why do they have to keep fabricating incidences to prove it? And how they're going to spin this, and then we'll get into calls here, how they're going to spin this is in the next few weeks, in the next whatever months, whatever, we're going to have an incident similar to this that will actually involve probably a, uh, a Caucasian white person doing something like this to an African-American, which will they, they will then say, see, this proves the theory of what happened at BYU. And this is how they continue to skirt off six-figure salaries and uh, morning shows. Uh, I, I put it pretty bluntly on my podcast that if CNN is serious about their new direction, this is the kind of thing that you fire Brianna Keelar over uh, without a question, without a doubt. And this is the kind of stuff that I think is more egregious than anything Brian Stelter has pretty much ever done because they're doing this to inflame a country that, let's face it, is already sitting on a powder keg of, sh of shit like this. And most of it is media driven. We're also going to have a president who's going to probably address this kind of thing exactly tomorrow night. So uh, there's not much here where you can speak from personal experience unless you've had it. Um, but this is going to kind of just be, uh, you express your thoughts on it, what you see with this. Um, perhaps you were at the game. I don't know. Uh, perhaps you watched the game. I don't know. Um, but we'll go for, basically, I'm going to go for an hour because we're already kind of later and we're pushing it. Um, as usual, um, just ground rules, uh, just kind of keep it fast. Just know that there's callers behind you. Um, I'll keep the conversation going if, you know, if you have more to say, but, uh, just know, just be considerate. There are people behind you. And if you could also please, when you're not talking, mute your microphone in case you're driving in a car or what have you, you really shouldn't be driving in a car. I know some of you do that. Um, so just a couple of ground rules. Like I said, we'll go, uh, I'll go for probably, uh, an hour here or, uh, to get through callers, whichever comes first. Uh, so we'll just jump into it. Give me your thoughts on this, this topic, what you see. Do you still watch ESPN over this? I, I don't watch ESPN myself. Um, I, I got it streaming for hockey games. Hockey season is over, so I canceled it. Um, I'll probably get it again when hockey season fires back up. Uh, I, too, am a hypocrite like everyone else. Uh, David, good to see you again. What kind of crazy proposal do you give me on this one? <laughs> uh Nothing. No. No crazy proposal. I'm uh, the craziness. Uh, 
is just on display by the perps. I, and, uh, and there's, there seems to be dozens of them or more. I, um, I, I can't believe they're as credulous as this. Uh, what, here's what really bothers me. Tell me if you share this concern. This is going to be a, maybe not a great analogy, but it's the best I can do. Uh, if I, you know, go to an oncologist because I think I have the big C and, and I'm told that I don't, they run tests and I don't have it. And I see that they're disappointed. That's going to piss me off. If, if some, you know, the CDC, let's say there's an international CDC, CDC, I'm assuming there is, and they're, they're in deepest, darkest Africa because there might be a case of Ebola there or something terrible or a, a new plague. And they get there, the team gets there and they find that there's no plague and they're disappointed. That's the wrong reaction. The, the correct reaction is relief. But these people, these activists, when they don't, when there's an, an alleged incidence of racism, like the Duke lacrosse case, and you would know better than me, was it 2007, Steve? Something like that? Uh, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, I don't, I was, I might have been a little bit of a youngin, but I was aware of it and I haven't <laughs> polished up on the details of it. But anyway, oh, well, that, when, when the reporters arrived there, uh, and they found out that there was no rape. Do you think the lion's share of them were relieved that there, that a woman was not raped, that this black woman was not raped, or were they dis- secretly disappointed that there was no black woman raped there? No, we we've seen this. No, you're you're onto. I mean, you're onto the you're onto one of the obvious points in all of this that. Yes, um, we, we should be relieved that an entire university is not racist. But exactly, instead, we're 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 meant to be told that this is a lesson, and no one. Charles Krauthammer used to point this out about Obama, and it's still one of my favorite things. That whenever, like, if you remember the police acted stupidly thing with uh, Henry Louis Gates and Columbia yeah, the beer, the beer summit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just a refresher. Henry Louis Gates was locked out of his house. Campus police show up. He doesn't have an ID on him. He gets belligerent, whatever. And they detain him. I, I don't think they took him in for booking. They just, they, they detained him until they could confirm his identity before. This was not something that was really ever put to the president of the United States. Okay, like George Bush didn't get questions about what the Columbia Police Department was doing. Um, Bill Clinton didn't get questions about local police actions. But because Obama was such a cultural figure, he had to weigh in on everything, um, including like Kanye West. That that really was when our media shifted to being all encompassing political, no matter where you go, sports, movies, television, problematic, whatever. And. The reporter, he's giving a press conference, the reporter gets up and says, what, what do you, th-? and he was clearly primed on it, because Obama was ready. And he gets up and he says, what do you think about, you know, and Henry Louis Gates knew Obama, they were pals, and he says, what do you get up and you, and you say about this, da 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 and he goes, uh, I don't have all the facts, I don't, I don't know really everything that happened, but I do know the police acted stupidly. And now we have a huge firestorm. Because as it turns out, you had, I think it was, it was uh, two white officers who did this, and so now Obama's caused a huge controversy. Like, police acted stupidly, even though he said he didn't know the full details of the case. Well, it turns out that one of the officers, uh, the one that was named in this thing, the first guy that came out, he had the backing of African-American officers at Columbia Police. I think they wrote a letter defending him. 
he was also the guy who was in charge of teaching diversity uh, for the Columbia Police Department. So Obama comes out and he calls an officer who has done more to advance diversity. And sorry about that. I'm trying to silence my watch. Um, who's trying to do much to advance diversity in the Columbia Police Department and says, yeah, that's stupidly. Well, and so now instead of the press asking, hey, is, does he want to take that back? Does he want to elaborate? What does Obama do? He says, we're going to hold a beer summit because this is a teachable lesson for the entire country. No, asshole, you're, you're the one who did this, not us, okay? And so the, the reason this is similar is because now that this hoax comes out, they're going to say, well, we can all learn something from this. We can all learn to be better humans. We can all learn, you know, to not, you know, not judge people by their skin or whatever. So Obama goes and holds this beer summit because of a mess he created. The other interesting thing about the photo, there's a really great photo of this officer helping Henry Louis Gates down the stairs of the South Lawn. There was a little patio that they set up in Biden, Obama, and this officer is the one helping Lewis Gates down the stairs while Obama and Biden are just like walking ahead. It's a it's it's such a telling photo. And Crowdhammer noted that this was his trick. He would create a controversy uh, racially driven and then he would float above everything and say that this is where the country needs to do some soul searching or this should be a teachable moment for us all. And that's, this is what our media is doing with these instances. Instead of accepting responsibility, instead of Brianna Keeler coming on air and saying, we apologize for this, uh, we, we shouldn't have done this, we jumped to conclusions here. Of course, we know they don't do this because they're probably facing legal action. But even parsing an apology and saying, you know what, okay, we shouldn't have done this, we should, we should have learned, we should have you know, waited for the investigation. Instead, what do we get? Well, we're going we're gonna to hear... The university has a long history of racism, which we saw. We saw that from a Deadspin reporter who said this, this particular incident might not have happened, but this university, given the history and the history of the religion and whatever, we can't just poo-poo this. Um, they'll also double down and they'll say, well, it's a police investigation and all police are bastards, right? And that's what they're going to do. And they're going to keep doing this when I didn't make this mistake. I didn't comment on this until the the Star Tribune ran their investigation. You didn't, David didn't comment on it. David behind you and Ivan behind you and Joseph behind you, we didn't do this. You did this. And so that's really what they're going to do. And you're right. It's like they're disappointed when yeah, that, they don't that, get the narrative that they do. And then they, they eventually will. They'll get that, a hate that, crime will happen. And then they'll say, see, this right. does happen. And it's like, well, no. But that doesn't mean that the incident of BYU or Nicholas Salmon on the mall actually happened. I agree. I, but for me, the obscene part, and this, this just speaks to a wider pathology in the culture, is that it's not just the media, and you're exactly right about the media, but there's a huge swath of the left that is yearning for these types of incidents. That, to me, is what's so disgusting. Our fetishization of victimhood is so acute now that we are your we i don't mean we you and me and people that listen to you but i mean a huge segment of the country is actually yearning for this these types of incidents because it confirms a view of the country that they are burning to believe which is that we are still for all intents and purposes uh you know a 1950s america 
and still, you know, very, uh, you know, vehemently racist, which simply is obviously there is racism, but that picture of America is not accurate, but they want it to be. And well, that, they, I think, well, is, they, that's it's, what's it's disgusting. Not want, they need it to be because right. they're pushing. I, this is what this is what I did today. And this is I've said this before, which is I had this minor thread with this Taylor Lorenz clone from NBC. We have this issue in Jackson, Mississippi with the water supply, which has happens ironically and coincidentally in, in a lot of Democrat run cities for years. Detroit, Flint, Michigan all had water problems. And all I simply noted and they and they and they throw out the same mumbo jumbo bullshit that they do with everything here's our tweet more people need to be talking about jackson mississippi the city ran out of bottled water to give residents yesterday the largest city in mississippi it's 80 percent black their water system is failing because of years of neglect this is environmental racism <laughs> so they just throw, they regurgitate what they've been taught and what they see in their circles and all they simply did was point out that this city jackson mississippi has been under democratic mayoral control and structural control since 1989. That's not as long as Detroit. It's not as long as Flint, but it's 30 years. And I noted that this is what happens every single time. The conversation ends when we have to address which party has been in charge of these things. This goes back to George Floyd. And this the reason I'm using this example is the conversation ends every single time when we have to address the policies and how this happened. And I noted in kind of a sarcastic tweet that it's always structural environmental racism and definitely not Democrat mayors and legislatures appropriating funds meant to keep up the water filtration system and the piping and the tanks and the reservoirs and things like that. And instead slushing that money through public union delegates and social justice advocates, which is exactly what it is. And the reason why I bring this up is because instead of holding these cities accountable in these cities that have been run by Democrats for 30, 40, 50 years, it's never them that is responsible. It's the country itself has to be structurally racist. And so we saw that with George Floyd. Uh, George Floyd is, you know, snuffed out by cops in a, in a pretty brutal way on film. They're convicted that we obviously have $20 billion in riot damage over it. Now, instead of addressing who has run Minneapolis for years that has caused this level of poverty to the point of George Floyd having to having to pass a fake $20 bill, right? How did these conditions happen, okay? How did police get to the point to where they thought that they could get away with this? Um, how did any of this happen? Well, Minneapolis has been under Democratic mayoral control, and the mayor is a person who appoints police commissioners and police chiefs who you assume aligns with their philosophies. And these cities have been under mayoral control. Minneapolis has been under mayoral control since I think like the 1970s or the 1960s. But we can't look at that, okay? The media can't look at that. And the Democratic Party won't obviously look at that because that's when the natives start to get restless and start to vote you out. So what has to happen? It's the country that's racist. We're structurally racist and historically racist going back to 1619. And therefore, now every company has to put in DEI advisors. We have to start hiring them in universities for six figures. And that's the real problem. And that's when you get Taylor Lorenz clone 25-year-old idiot reporters for MSNBC and NBC just regurgitating their campus talking points. 
And so you're, you're right that it's not only that they want to do it, it's that they need to do it. They need to feed these narratives to basically prove that it's the institutions that are racist. Remember, Rachel Richardson's own story was it was one person. And then she said it changed to the whole student body. The whole student body was just throwing the N-word out there. And it's like, you think that would have picked up on ESPN's microphones that that was happening? And like I said, this is just the result of media Twitter smooth brain. They can advance this shit on Twitter, except today, Ju- Juicy Small A has been trending, so that kind of backfired. And so I know you frame it in the way that they want it, and I'm framing it that they need it. They need – media and Democrats need it to prove that, hey, this – you know, actual problems of racism – um, like Jackson, Mississippi's water supply or Flint, Michigan's water supply. Go back and see when the last Republican mayor was of Flint, Michigan. Some of these, some of these, and I'm saying that to the room, some of these places you'll be astounded at how long Democrats have controlled some of these cities. Go back and look at Baltimore. Go back and look at Chicago. I think 1921, 100 years of Democratic control in Chicago. Okay. And so you see what's happening in these cities. And now you see what's happening in some of these newer cities. Uh, Look at Portland. Look at Seattle. Look at Denver, which has gone more and more blue. Look at look at St. Louis. Okay, look at Austin, Texas. And they're following the same exact pattern that cities like Baltimore, Detroit, uh, Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles have been have just gone down the tubes because of this. And they will do anything in their power to avoid talking about that, which includes calling you and me a racist. Because because I I don't believe in Dr. Ibram Kendi's bullshit. Yeah. No, I don't either. Uh, uh, you've got other Davids to get to. Great work, as always. I uh, hope to talk to you again. Thanks, David. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but that's what we're here for. Uh, next, David. Uh, go ahead. Give me thoughts on the topic, whatever, if you want to elaborate or, or whatever. Yeah, just uh, just seeing a lot of these ESPN personalities, like they've kind of made it their own person. They've kind of made it their own brand to take this political stop, uh, bring these politics to sports, and just it's a uh, it's kind of annoying when you're trying to watch it and you like sports. But um, years ago, I I went to a Miami Florida State game in Tallahassee. It's, it's college football, and it was a great game. 80,000 people, college football, you know, good atmosphere there. Uh, however, I went with me and a black friend, and um, <laughs> we, we had done a whole day of tailgating, and it was a – the game was great, um, tight game all the way, very tense, and me and my buddy got tickets, and, uh, you know, we're sitting at a away stadium being, you know, being uh, the opposing fans. And, David, uh, David, real fast. You're you're Cuban, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to just because I know you've been in here. I just want to clear that up so you're not like me, the cracker guy, saying my black friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, me and my friend. Right. Right. This is my friend. No, just because yeah. you know when they clip when they clip this podcast, they're going to say, and David talked about his black friend. Sorry, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so me and my friend are the stereotypical Miami Hurricane fans. If you're into college football, Um, people who didn't go to the university but just still love the team. Um, (laughs) So my buddy, 
Um, he does, you know, he does the, you know, he does, he makes a gesture, uh, making fun of the Seminole Chop, the racist Seminole Chop, by the way, similar to the one that the racist uh, Kansas City Chiefs do. And he does it with a middle finger and at the end of the game. And so the guy right next to me who, uh, you know, just had to, t- who's tasting ag- the agony of defeat, went on, said about three N-words, and, of course, the spick word, the S-word for, oh, boy, um, <laughs> the S-word came my way. I'll, and, I'll, uh, man, I'll not re- edit that out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and um, let me see. He just, but, you know, the whole group, and we were in, this was in a way place where, um, with the opposing team, the whole row pointed this guy out, was throwing stuff at him, was and he was escorted out by police. Um, not only because of the words he was saying, but also because he was starting to get a little pushy, and my buddy was going to deck him. And um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I just can't believe. I, I when I heard all that story, I was like, "There's no way in this world in that small volleyball gym." Um, that somebody could get away with that, saying that in 2020, especially even if it's in Utah, on a college campus, watching women's volleyball, which I'm sure like most of those people, if you pull most of those people, they're Democrats, college kids watching women's volleyball. Um, it, I, I can't imagine. I, I just don't see how the, like how this kid like people were just so excited uh, to for this to be a race story and it just it it doesn't add up like it is so yeah i think i think it's interesting that it's telling more outlets didn't jump on it now espn of course did because uh, that's all they do these days yeah um cnn did a segment on it. good morning america did a segment on it but there was a good chunk i didn't see as i was going through this this morning because this just lit, i didn't even hear about this until a couple days ago so I go through, and I'm start. I'm looking at the name. I'm looking for outlets, you know, to see what they're reporting on it, how they're reporting on it. I didn't see that many, which lends you to believe that some of them went. Hold on, let's just wait on this. Or they had sources from the the Salt Lake Tribune who said, "Hey, they're looking into this, and it's sketchy or something." But you bring up your point. I mean, the point of your story is that nobody in 2022, you're not going to get away with that. Like you're not going to get away with it without someone it, it, the very least going, dude, shut up. What are you doing? You know, um, I noted like you probably couldn't get away with it in a grocery store today. Um, and so at the very least, someone says, dude, what are you doing? Stop. Like, you know, at that. And at the at the very most, like you say, someone's going to get fucking decked. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially as Leon Wolf puts it like, dude, was the was the was the BYU basketball team just sitting there and going, yeah, they're chatting our word. No, that's not what was going on. And so you have people, you have a woman in a race, uh, a pol- running a political race that's trying to feed off this to get national attention drawn to it. Unfortunately, there's what an, an 18, 19 year old, 20 year old girl who's caught up in it for now. I'm willing to, again, I'm willing to stipulate that she's not just saying the shit to make up that that might change or whatever. Um, I'll also say in language, they might find someone who was doing it. I don't know, but for now they can't. And they've, they've interviewed people in that section. Uh, the student reporters for BYU Cougar Chronicle interviewed, and they didn't hear it. And of course, nobody picked it up. And of course there's holes in the story. 
And so, again, this comes back to what I like about the point of your story is, yeah, probably someone would have said something here and someone probably would have gotten their ass kicked in the process had this happened. Um, Apparently, what this is going to settle on is that they'll say the crowd was chanting the names of only the black players and not the white players. Uh, In which case, I'd probably be like, yeah, that's that's probably passive aggressive racism. But again, we don't even know that. And so that's probably what they're going to settle on. And this is going to end at this is going to slowly fade out. And we're not going to hear about it. But like I said, if we do, uh, it'll be the crowd hammer rule, which is we all learned an important lesson here. And I'll say, what is the lesson that you shouldn't put these fucking people on television before corroborating their story? Is that the lesson? No, the lesson is we should all be more tolerant of each other. That's probably what Rachel Richardson is going to come out and say. And also say she'll probably play the Naomi Osaka card, which is, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of emotional mental health right now, please. In which case, the media says, leave her alone. And we're going to go through that. And, and again, instead of sitting there and apologizing and saying, hey, I shouldn't have weighed in on this. I shouldn't have said anything. Uh, I'll try to be better myself. I'll try to make sure I'm only, you know, tweeting out or putting corroborated stories on uh, our network. Um, but pretty much CNN itself has become the network of uncorroborated stories. Yeah. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, BYU's in the Pac-12. They do have a sports rights with uh, ESPN. And <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Somebody, I, somebody sure, said today. Sure the, somebody said today. Now that the story's been debunked, uh, Duke has to abolish its basketball program. Yeah, that'd be fair. Um, <laughs> but um, they can also go back and watch on their ESPN Plus platform uh, if that actually happened or not. This would have been televised on ESPN Plus. If I'm, I could be wrong about that. Uh, but women's volleyball. It's not something I really follow, but. Um, yeah, I know. I do. I do only when it's I, I. I follow it when it's on the beach and it's the Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that content. I'm a big fan of the sport, but only when those two things are happening. Yep. All right. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thanks for the story. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm leaving that in there, by the way. Okay. It's Colin. It's awesome. it's a good platform for speech. I'm leaving that in there. Ivan, how are you? Fire away. Um, well, I think as David alluded to earlier, the, the irony of this being, um, I I think, um, that's, that that happened so long ago that you're looking at a different generation of journalists and it's not kind of what, what is B I, I even a little muted, at least for me. So he's talking about, uh, the Duke lacrosse case. And I guess there was a 30 for 30 ESPN made about it that basically shows, the uh, the apex of what not to do when it comes to sports journalism, um, and so my answer to that is it's just it's a completely different time. It's a complete. There's completely different motivations. Um, it's completely different generation of journalists who, mo- for the most part, believe that race drives everything because it's what they've been taught. We got we have that proof from the New York Times leak memos and meetings where. Uh, Dean Beckwaite was basically telling them that, you know, tamp down on the racial shit on Twitter. And the, and the younger reporters in the room, Taylor Lorenz, said that race is everything. 
And so, yeah, you would think that they would have learned their lesson. There's a few of these where you think they would learn their lesson. Nicholas Sandman, Richard Jewell, um, Jesse Smollett, uh, Duke Lacrosse case. There's a few of these you would think they would get it. And, of course, they keep, they continue to not get it. And there's a reason why. At this point, it's not accidental. And you also know it's not accidental because they very rarely, if ever, apologize. Jamil Hill is just going to move on. She'll justify it and say, well, BYU's racist history or whatever. And she say, you know, given that instance, and they're just going to justify it that way, and they're going to move on. And they're going to do it again, and they're going to do it again. And as I said, the prop, you know, the, the obvious motivation here is there, there will be a racially motivated incident, and then they can point to it and say, see, this proves the BYU thing happened. And as I said, you just sit there and go, well, no, it doesn't. Um, you know, one, one hate crime in New York City or wherever doesn't prove that the entire student body of BYU is racist. Um, but they're willing to make those illogical hoops because who's there to hold them accountable? With that, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ivan. And, and like I said, he was, uh, he was a little bit muted, but I, um, I'll, I'll even out the audio for him. Uh, on the publishing so you can go back. I, I will remember to publish this episode. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of a joke on the podcast. I forgot to publish the last episode because it takes a little bit. So sometimes I'll walk away or I'll, I'll switch off the app or whatever. And I completely forgot to come back to it. So, uh, but I would basically said he's in higher education and how that addresses to higher tuitions. Um, some interesting stuff. So you should go back and try to listen to it if you couldn't hear him. So uh, yeah, like Roxy Chlorine's commenting on it in comments. And so, like I said, I'll, I'll, I can even out the audio. So, um, some good stuff from Ivan. So just, if you want to go back and listen to it, I'll, I'll make sure to make him louder. Uh, Joseph, you're up. Fire away. Um, I have only one thought. It's just like genuinely fuck Janelle Hill or Jamel Hill, whatever the fuck her name is. I've never liked her. I've always like viewed her as just a race baiter, and she's like she's doubled down on the act ever since like she got hired the, with the Atlantic. I remember when she called like um, I think I think it was Nick Bosa when he got drafted because I think he had like a three percent tattoo, the three percenters tattoo. I think when he got drafted, he says like I'll I'll cover it up or I'll get rid of it, and she was like, oh, he's a white supremacist. I was just like, fuck you. Yeah, that's a, there's a whole industry of journalists whose job it is to dig up old tweets and, you know, try to get the athletes to drop or whatever. Um, that's, again, that's a whole, that's a genre that was rewarded by clicks and pretty much the BuzzFeedification and the Andrew Kaczynski K-fileification of journalism. Um, and the, the idea that you're that the San Francisco 49ers or whomever, whichever Bosa was, I think it was, he, it was the 49ers. He said he was, he likes Trump is really what it was. Um, the idea that the San Francisco 49ers are going to pass on that guy over something like that. And that Jameel Hill is going to be the one to do it. And don't do not underestimate the, of what the, the Colin Kaepernick San Francisco storyline came into play with that. They're they're out to basically just fucking harm the 49ers. They're, I'm surprised the 49ers haven't been linked to racist gold miners yet. Um, and they need to change their names. Um, but yeah, I mean, here, my problem, my, 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 my problem to me, besides that she's dishonest, let's just get that out of the way, is that ESPN tried to shove her into like an anchor role, like 
that never works with these flaming lunatics like Keith Olbermann also. Um, they tried to shove her into the anchor role, and there wasn't a lot of pushback when that happened because she was still relatively unknown. And then, of course, she had to flame out over her tweets and whatever, and they told her not to tweet you know, this shit anymore. And she said, well, I'm gonna. And they fired her. They were like, all right, well, you're gone. And what's funny is because ESPN is more like Jameel Hill now than ever. And the, I think who was it? The Atlantic picked her up and just let her be her. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, you know, don't pass her off to me. It's the same with Brian Stelter. Don't pass this fat fuck off to me like he's an honest man journalist when he belongs at Media Matters. Um, and so it's similar with Jameel Hill. Don't pass this racist, race-baiting extremist that just sees this everywhere, and this is her bag, you know. Uh, don't pass her off as a straight news anchor. If she goes to the Atlantic and she wants to write a thousand pieces about Colin Kaepernick, go ahead and just do that, and then we can at least criticize you on those terms. So Jamil Hill, to me, I, just, I knew she would bite on this. It's just like you roll your eyes. <laughs> to me, is isn't really the biggest issue. She is who she is, but it's when... Again, Brianna Keelar, under the guise of, hey, I'm just the CNN news host here, okay? She goes and does this thing through a whole production. Like I said, they had to bring the father into the studio. Nowhere along the line did anyone in her writers or production go, is this really a good idea when we still there's still an investigation happening? It's like, whatever. No, because she wants the narrative out there. She wants to she wants to put it out there that she is a good white person who is addressing uh, racial inequity in our country. And of course, if that doesn't, the truth of the situation doesn't matter. That's subjected to uh, the narrative that she's trying to do. So again, I don't have the hugest problem with someone like Jamil Hill. She is what she is, okay? Al Sharpton was vagina. Well, I'm just putting it out there. And so she's, that's what she's going to be. Um, it doesn't help that she has like 2 million Twitter followers and can put this shit out without Twitter or anyone going, hey, maybe don't do that. But that's a completely, to me, that's a completely different issue with companies like Twitter or The Atlantic. Um, again, it's, the fact that she's on that roster and I think she does a newsletter still is just more reason not to really sell, you know, celebrate her getting fired as much as is the end of The Atlantic, which should be a national holiday when it happens. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think I'll add one more thing is that these stories do also get like a ton of like, you know, tractions. It's like, you know, racist themselves. And also there was like a little story like last week or so about like sort of like uh little league kids, you know, you know, like the winners of like the little league world series and you know how they have like every year MLB will have the little league classic. They were showing like a there was a picture circulating around of like, you know, kids putting cotton into the hair of a black kid. And of course like, you know, like how that is like synonymous like, you know, with like slavery or whatever and everybody was just like hot and bother about that. You know, like, uh, far, far left outlet. Wait, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up. What, you said people are putting cotton into their hair? Well, I'm sorry. I, I should explain it better. Like, little, like, like, little league players, like, putting, like, cotton into the hair of, like, a black kid. And it wasn't until, like, they did further, like, looking into the image that it turned out it was, like, they were just making it into a mohawk. It's, like, you saw, like, other kids with it. Like, little cotton mohawk. And, like, they try to make it into, like, you know, like, a racist thing until, like, you look further. And it's like, oh, no, it really wasn't that. And Can't they just, like, can't they just, well, no, I was just going to say, can't they just stick to fucking sunflower seeds and 
Big League Chew or something. Like, I was going to say, can't they just stick to smearing black paint under their face like Bryce Harper did? But, eh, can't have that. Can't You can't have kids smearing black makeup on their face. That's about to leave. <laughs> Pretty much. So, all right. Uh, thank, thanks, Joseph, for the I didn't know about this this little league thing. I'm going to have to go look at that. Thanks for, thanks for putting that on my plate, Joseph. I appreciate that. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Cheers. Take care. <laughs> uh, we'll get through the last four. We'll end with Chris, uh, my resident trader from Kanadistan. Will, you're up. Go ahead. Uh, Al Sharpton with a vagina that totally threw me off. I had something that I was going to talk about, but here we are going on with something totally different. Somebody, one of the earlier callers mentioned, uh, sports journalism. And I think it's fair to say a couple of things. One, we always talk, or you always talk about how the journalist today is totally different than the journalist with, uh, a bare belly, uh, black coffee and too much cigarettes. Yeah. Um, in fairness, I think it was comfortably smug who, he he really elaborated on that analogy. I, I kind of cribbed it from him, but yeah, I mean, every journalist used to look like, you know, Peter Jennings and Mark Noller. And now every journalist is going like every journalist, like New York times, Washington post, NBC, they're holding up Taylor Lorenz's face and going, I want this, go find me this. And it, it's, you, it's the buzzfeedification of journalism where, you know, you're 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 rewarding advocates and activists and not people who are in journalism f- to to tell stories to be truthful as much as they are here to push back on things like environmental racism whatever the fuck that is right totally and i think sports journalism is the same thing where gym teachers are teachers who can't teach sports journalists are athletes who can't play so they still very much fit the mold of somebody who has an axe to grind, whether real or imagined, about their, their failed athletic pursuits. And this has been something where it doesn't always have to be the white guy, although in certainly the Duke lacrosse case, yeah. But it was Kobe Bryant, and that turned out to be false. It was Patrick Kane, and that turned out to be false. It, and, then it's, and now it's this, and this looks to be, if not false, much less nefarious than what it's being presented as today by We're- the uh, were Kobe and Kane settlements? I don't remember off the top of my head. I know about. Uh, I was li- I'm living in Colorado at the time of Kobe Bryant. That was a huge fucking deal. Um, but I don't remember if either of those were settlements. I know that Kobe said he just he cheated and then he gave, he bought his wife like a twenty four million dollar ring. Um, but was was Kane a settlement? I don't remember. Kobe was a settlement. Patrick Kane was totally total acquittal. They dropped the prosecutor denied to even bring charges. Right. Okay. I just wasn't sure. No, totally. I mean, but it it just seems to be the same mistakes all the time, all over where, you know, in the case of sports journalism, they want to get the stud. They want to get the guy who is just so good and and nobody can explain why he's so good. There's got to be something wrong with him. And when they got him, they got him. Um, And I, I mean, and, Getting now it's gotten to the point where it's you don't even have to be a star athlete. You can just be some random schmuck from Utah Valley University sitting there on your phone. And all of a sudden you're getting escorted out by BYU security. I kept hitting the emoji. Yeah, I mean, that was that's one of the crux of the stories. BYU basically said, we don't want to deal with the PR of this. So get this guy out of here. Like, like we saw, and, and we've seen LeBron and we've seen pro NBA players do this. Like they tell security to remove a heckler, right? 
Um, I think LeBron's done that. I think Westbrook has done it or whatever. They point, yep. they point to a heckler and say, get that guy out of here, shut him up, whatever. And that appears to be what happened here. And I don't, I didn't look at the footage of her talking to this guy, but apparently she was talking to this guy fine. And then she just points at the guy and says, get him out of here. And, and BYU said, okay, we have a sensitive situation where we have a black player. I don't know. I don't know who this guy is, if he's white or what his race is, but I'll assume he's white just dangerously. And they say, just get this guy out of here. Just deal with this, like whatever, because the coaches were starting to get upset. And then they talk about how they put the cops down there. Um, and, to me, it sounds like they just said, "Just end this. We don't want. We don't want the PR. We don't want to be on social media. We don't want to be on ESPN." And then, guess what happened? ESPN, social media, CNN—they all ran with it anyway. And now it just—it sounds like that this guy is probably not perma banned, which would be a story in and of itself. There. Yeah, totally. And then I'll get out of your hair right after this. I know you guys are trying to trap, try and wrap up, but going along the lines of your story about the. Uh, you, you want to get under, want to get somebody else's uh, attention on, on the hockey game and somebody else's uh, story about the college football thing. Like when, when people, the general populace will object and defend somebody else who's either at a disadvantage or being unfairly othered to use, you know, whatever nonsense terminology people want to use today. Right. So good story is my, uh, my in-laws, my father-in-law is a giant, just stereotype of a New York Italian. Imagine Sonny Corleone. If he lived through the, uh, the mafia wars, went to therapy and got himself settled down. That's my father-in-law. Awesome guy, big Yankees fan. It's a Yankees Mets game at Yankee stadium. Mets fans are going nuts. Yankees fans are going nuts. And it goes, moves from the players to, you know, gentle banter between the, uh, between the fans, Mets and Yankees fans in my father-in-law section. Uh, my father-in-law gets kind of caught up in the crossfire. Uh, one of the, one of these Mets fans <laughs> who says to my father-in-law, who's, who's blind, um, from a pretty obvious, like, you know, eye accident, uh, many years ago goes, Hey, Cyclops, why don't you sit down? The entire section gets up. And starts just booing this guy, telling him to shut up, telling somebody was about to kick his ass. My father-in-law stops everybody, calms it down, says he's going to excuse himself for a little bit, goes down to the, uh, to, the, to the concourse, finds a security guard, finds an African-American security guard. Says, you know, there's a guy up there. It's getting pretty intense. He's dropping the M-bomb all over the place. I think you better go and get that guy. That guy who called my father-in-law, Slycops, gets, uh, gets booted right then and there. One of the funniest, best stories I've ever heard at Yankee Stadium. And with that, sir, I bid you adieu. <laughs> yeah, if you notice, none of us are actually criticizing the technique. <laughs> we're all, I mean, especially like that. Like, nobody's above using the technique, but we're also not, uh, I'm, I'm not a college televised athlete. I'm a, I'm a Gen X reject in a beer league game. And I, and I don't ever proactive do it to like a guy who's good. I only do it when a guy starts running his mouth at me. So the one time that I used it was a guy was just on the bench, just running his mouth at both me and like whatever. And I just, I, I had had enough. And these, these was, this was a team that like they would celebrate when they're up on you five, nothing and it on a like 1030 on a Monday night. And I just had enough. And, uh, I, I just went up to the ref and used it. And I said, Hey, if I hear this guy call another person on my team or that guy over there on my team, a fag, I'm going to put you on notice along with the league manager. And he goes, who was, it? I was like number 18, that motherfucker right there. 
and then Rev goes over and pulls him off the bench and says, misconduct, two minutes. And he just lost it. He's like, what? What the fuck? And I just did the uh, the pan puppet talking, like the Kermit mouth talking with my glove as he was in the bench. And uh, that guy didn't talk from the bench for the rest of the game. So it worked. So I don't deny that players do this, okay? Um, but again, when, when like, like uh, Will just said the story, <laughs> or the last guy, like whatever, uh, but again, we're not collegiate athletes, and I'm certainly not going on Good Morning America. Good Morning America called me. He's like, hey, we want to interview this. Is wh- did, Who was it that they addressed? I'd probably just be like, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Sorry. never. I don't talk to journalists. We'll go uh, Matt and Jacqueline. Speaking speaking of uh, sports town with, ra- with racist uh, leanings, Matt uh, from Boston, you're up. Big race town here. Big racist town here. It's funny. This is this is like deja vu. In 2017, Adam Jones was an outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Heard fans saying racist things at him from the outfield, from the bleachers, and he pointed. And Charlie Baker, Governor Marty Walsh, Jamel Hill, it made national news. All basically said, you know, Boston's racist, and we're never going to get this town is terrible. We're never going to get over it, and basically the whole city needs to basically apologize and be condemned. The story locally was covered a lot because the local um, sports talks guys, sports talk guys are more right-leaning and they were curious because to your point about the BYU incident, there were supposedly 60 people shouting racial slurs and there was one person who got in trouble for it. And that person who actually got in trouble for doing anything was throwing a bag of peanuts but they never found the culprit for yelling racial slurs because it never happened. And they, and they did people investigated. And if you've ever gone to Fenway, while it has the perception of being a tough place is now called friendly Fenway for a reason, because a very kid friendly environment. And to your point, like the conversation in town was like, if there was people yelling anything racist in the bleachers, people would be like, dude, get out of here. And it'd be on videotape. Nothing was ever found. The Boston globe, which is a, failing Boston Globe, as Trump would say, sent a reporter to report on the dynamic of the outfield bleachers. And he basically sat there and reported like the next week and said, yeah, I hear I hear racist remarks the whole game, but never reported anything, never recorded anything and just said it was happening. But there was no evidence of it. So Jamel Hill was very vocal about this and it it never happened. It just never happened. I think what's interesting is the athletes always blame the opposing fans and every once in a while it's, it's a player. Like you'll see a player, you know, accuse another player or something like that. But I think that happened in the miles Garrett Rudolph incident where miles Garrett's excuse yep. for like taking Rudolph's head off with a helmet was he called him a racial slur and, but nobody heard it. But it is interesting when players go after the opposing fan base because they, the, I think also part of this is the fan base can't defend themselves in the media. Because you have a star who knows he'll have microphones in his face after the game. Similar to Rachel Richardson. I know it's only college volleyball and who cares. But they know that they have the media attention because they have the power in the situation. When you can point at a random section and go, they're calling, they're saying the N-word. And... What is that? Is a fan going to step forward and speak for the entire 2F section and say, no, we weren't? No. And the media knows this. And I think that that's a lot to do with this. You bring up an interesting point about how when athletes accuse a fan base or they accuse a section in the stadium, well, 
the media is not going to go talk to anyone who is in that section, even if they put out a thing and say, hey, we need to speak with you if you were in row 13, seat nine. Um, what's interesting is the BYU Cougar Chronicle did exactly that. They went and said, we need to hear from students or were you in this? And they said, yeah, I was there and we didn't hear shit. And that was one of the things that debunked it. And I think the media at large knows that. Hey, we can accuse this section of Fenway Park of racism. Let's be honest. Fenway Park's pretty racist, okay? But we can say, we, we can accuse Boston fans of being racist. Or I can accuse, you know, someone in the crowd of being racist. And LeBron James can get a guy kicked out of a game for saying racist. Who the fuck is going to go against LeBron James in this situation? He, he almost got a police officer in Missouri killed, okay? So... It is interesting that the media dynamic here is always about you don't punch down. You don't pick on the littler person. That's That has a lot to do with the trans narrative of, you know, this is a marginalized group of people. When you could technically argue, if we're on their terms, I don't think this, but if you're on their terms of marginalization, if you have a multi-million dollar athlete playing left field and he says that those people are calling me the N-word all game, Daryl, you know, whatever. And the, and he can go to the media in the locker right after the game. He, he did go up to a he guy, did. pull the microphone and say, they were calling me the N-word. Well, yeah. isn't the group of fans, the marginalized people in this case, they don't have a microphone. They could maybe go to their Twitter account or their Instagram account and be like, hey, nobody was saying the N-word. But who's going to pick that up other than maybe Clay Travis or Barstool? And everyone knows Barstool is racist, too, because he's from Boston. Yeah. So we all know that's written off. And so it's, it's an interesting dynamic that athletes clearly, clearly exploit when they want to. And this is a this is so repetitive. The exact same thing is happening. I read the J. Bill. I hate J. Bill. As he's, a, he's just a dork. But I went to see you mentioned on the podcast. He put out a statement. I read it like. He's not going to retract that. He's not going to apologize. So now it's out there. And I know you were joking, but you introduced me as like Matt from Boston. Like Boston has this reputation of being racist, but it is a, a legacy reputation. Like people come here and they love playing here. Athletes love playing here. They embrace the city. I mean, look at Paul Pierce loves Boston. He's never said it's a bad city or a racist city, but it has this weird connotation. And it's just stuff like Jamel Hill, who wouldn't step foot in the city and hasn't probably ever been here, but she created this story out of nothing and she piled onto it years again. Now she's doing it with BU. But I think one thing that's that one take I have about this is that you kind of brought up is the people want authority to do something. And I don't know if a great analogy is like the, the people, the fans want the Red Sox, or excuse me, the, the athlete wants the, the league and the Red Sox to do something, and they do something. They want them to have take their authority and almost act like a government and do something to police it. But you have to allow the fans or the citizens to police themselves, and that will happen in an event. I don't want to sit next to somebody who's dropping the N-bomb. Like, I'd be like, dude, you need to get out of here. And I don't know if I'd go report them, but like you just don't want that dynamic. And people will police each other at these sporting events. This stuff, I'm sure it does happen, but it's not this issue that is, is happening at all these events. One, one other thing is, don't you think it's quite interesting that Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic held a misinformation conference and talked about misinformation and how pervasive it is? And one of his top reporters, so to speak, is spreading in misinformation. 
I would argue Jamil Hill is not really a reporter, but she's at least one of the top faces of the Atlantic right now. And yeah, you're right. And of course, Jeffrey Goldberg wrote all of that off. He said, we too have been accused of misinformation this weekend when college students got up and asked him tougher questions than anything he's appeared on MSNBC or CNN. Um, that's again, that's to me is the larger question here is why, why are they allowed to continue to do it without consequence? Um, unless Brianna Keeler comes on tomorrow and issues a full-throated apology because this dude in, in Utah found a lawyer who issued a summons to CNN and said, you fucking did it again. There's a pattern of behavior here, and I'm going to sue you for $12 million fucking dollars. In which case, tomorrow morning, Brianna Keeler comes on, oh, shit, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done this. Um, but again, this is allowed to happen with some of the most, I'm not going to say reputable, but certainly notable media organizations and personalities, and they're allowed to do it over and over again, like you have stated, without consequence. And to me, that is the issue. The issue to me is not Jameel Hill. It's who is in charge of Jameel Hill, as I stated. Uh, it's That's, to me, the bigger fish here. Yeah, and I think Jamil Hill, you said in your podcast, I don't want to pick on just her, but people like her, like you could say all the bad things you want about Trump, but when people say the country is divided, and I think you've had some great comments tonight for people. The past five years, a person like that who was on ESPN, who literally said Donald Trump is a racist and hates black people on ESPN, or maybe not hates black people, but is a racist. And the other things, these these hoaxes about of these like race hoaxes that she's like helped amplify. What has she been doing good for the country the last four or five years? She's the one that wants there to be a race problem and there to be all this strife. And there really isn't. There is. But the country's not divided. They just make it seem like it is. Um, the last point, and I'll hop off. I actually think there's an actually a, a interesting correlation between this BYU thing and how the media and how people are reacting to Fetterman not uh, debating Oz. And I know it's um, two different reasons, right? You have a, this racial thing, and then you have this medical I sort, thing. I swear to God, I'm not even joking. I'm half expecting them to just literally say criticizing John Fetterman or calling him King Kong or something is racist. You just know they're going to pull that fucking card out. No, I, I, I wouldn't expect it. Even though Oz is, of course, Muslim and Fetterman's the guy who chased down a black man with a shotgun. No, it's did, just did I reality. say that loud enough? John Fetterman chased down a black man with a shotgun in his truck. It's just this reaction that like Fetterman's got this this weird campaign on, on Twitter and social media. And then there's a little bit of heat that comes his way. And the world just upends and becomes victimhood and oh my god and i'm not saying that the byu the the initial situation byu is a lot more serious but now it's just like well this has to be a problem and and it's and it's victim mentality and in fetterman's case it's a very i think feel like it's very there's a lot of parallels there instead of fetterman being like you know what like fuck it like you know what i'm gonna come debate you or i'm gonna suck it up and i'm gonna speak on my behalf and not put out some like pussyfoot statement like it just seems like there's this like need to be the victim and need to be seem like you're being bullied and made fun of when in actuality you're really not i think that woman was probably heckled at byu and she's just making it out into a race thing because heckling and making fun of somebody is the same as being called something that's racially insensitive nowadays there is and this and i'm you know there's not going to be i'm not going to sugarcoat this 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 is a reoccurring theme in a lot of political politics right now and especially media and it's it swings the pendulum swings both ways on this one donald trump largely 
was, you know, if you look at if, and I'm not saying go do it because you'll go insane, but his true social thing is largely that I'm a victim. And that's been kind of one of his calling cards for a lot of years. And there is this idea, there is this pervasive idea that the louder you scream, you're a victim, the more media attention you're going to get. That's not on accident. We can go back all the way to, again, 2008, um, where, again, every everybody basically said that Obama is a victim of, of, of a racist attack because a rodeo clown wore his mask. And this is something that's just grown and grown and grown and grown. And yeah, it's more it's more along the lines of rewarding grievance culture than it is anything else. But um, what what higher grievance is there than, again, race and uh, exploiting that? Because, again, back I mean, you really had to be around eight, nine, ten years ago when it was you're racist for everything. That was literally something where it was like, holy fuck, they're calling John McCain a racist. Like what? That really just like came out of the blue and they ran with it. And the thing they don't understand is it's over 10 years later. And, and I think a lot of people not only have tuned it out, they're going the other direction on it. Where, again, I, I just I have to ask if white supremacy is so prevalent in this country, why did Dylan Roof, who was who committed a, ra- a horrific act of racism, constantly write in his diary how alone he was. He could not find people that were like-minded to hang out with, uh, who thought like he did. So, of course, he, you know, he kind of gets lost in online shit. Um, if race is as prevalent as you're saying it is in this country, why do you have to continuously fabricate these incidences, um, especially on a national level or at a sports level? And this is the question that just has to be asked because it really does minimize other acts of racial hatred. And I've pointed out two of them. I pointed out all the attacks happening to Asian Americans and people of uh, Asian descent happening in San Francisco and places like Oakland. And of course, you swing across the country to New York City, where a Hasidic Jew is attacked almost every single fucking day on the streets of New York. And it's, it just doesn't make news. It's like, yeah, okay, I guess that happened. And it really is, again, to the point of our media has has dived all in on this equity talking point where we can't address the race of a perpetrator if it's problematic to the story. Um, I bet right now, if I asked you to name the guy who drove the SUV through the Waukesha parade on Christmas, I'm willing to bet out of the, uh, how many people are in here? There were a hundred, but now it's 99. I bet out of all of you, maybe only 50 of you could actually probably do it. And again, there was also uh, the shooting of this Washington Redskins, uh the the football team, running back, where the Washington Post completely eliminated the racial description of the two juveniles who committed the crime. They do this for two reasons. One, because of George Floyd, and and we can't do it. Two, they do it because they think if we put race in these stories... Uh, a bunch of MAGA hat wearing yokels are going to drive through the streets of D.C. with a 50 caliber machine gun mounted on the back of their Ram truck. I'm telling you, this is literally what they think. This comes back to why they minimized uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. They minimized, obviously, the race and the motives of the people who committed that crime and act of terror because they thought that uh, our country is a bunch of intolerant, again, yokels who are going to go Muslim hunting in the streets. And that is why they do it. And that should speak volumes about what they think of you and what they think of me. 
Jacqueline, you got the last word. Take us home. Make it a good one. Uh, if it's the first time, there's a microphone mute button right down there at the bottom next to the emoji. Thumbs up. Just feel free to hit that one. Okay. I'm there here. you are. Go ahead, Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to call and let you know, like, I, as soon as I heard that BYU Duke story, I honestly was skeptical from the first second, because no one else corroborated it, because I'm a six-foot-two black lesbian soccer player that is married to a five foot four white woman and we have had incidents happen that people can corroborate and it's like I know like the fact that there was no one around that section that could hear anything that happened instantly put up my spotty senses that something was off because it just didn't make sense to me. Do you, that, Jack, Jacqueline? Do you yeah. play like recreational soccer? I well, I played professional, or I didn't play professional soccer. I played collegiate soccer. I played at Oklahoma State. I did you? Played, did you ever? Did you ever face racial incidences from players or no. fans? No, not not once. No, I yeah, I I went to Oklahoma State in two thousand two. So it was 20 years ago, but you know, I never faced any racial stances. I have in social situations, but I. But never, I have, never in sporting, right? No, never in sporting. Okay, so not yeah. from not from fans playing. Let's be let's be honest. There's probably not a lot of people at Oklahoma State watching soccer. Um, that's a joke. Actually, we did. Um, actually, we did have a lot of people because Stillwater, <laughs> Oklahoma, doesn't have anything to do. So. No, that's that is true, and it's filled with and it's filled with a lot of white people. Um, yes, it's filled with so, a lot of white people. There's nothing so, to do. So you never really faced. No. Any like nothing from fans shouting anything, nothing from players like opposing no. players. Do you do you think that players were more aggressive towards you because of your race? Because this the reason I'm asking that is because what it sounds like with this incident with BYU is they were upset that the black players' names were getting chanted, but not the white players. So did you do you think that any players played more aggressive or cheap shotted you more because of who you are and what you look like? No, not at all. Like, soccer is soccer. Like, when I was playing, when I was, like, one of my best friends in high school, we played against each other in club league when we were, like, 13 years old and 14 years old. And I tore her ACL because I came out to slide tackle her and tore ACL. And like we were best friends in high school, and I met someone. <laughs> and I met someone in college that I played with that played for a completely different team that we played with against each or played against each other when we were like fifteen. And she was like, "You broke my friend's leg when we were like sixteen years old." When I did the same type of thing, so like, and no one, and like we just hung out. So, no, I don't think anything like that ever happened. Interesting. I'm, and I'm not, causation is not correlation. But again, 
um, you're you're in a unique position to add perspective to to this. So that's kind of why I was just curious. Um, I kind of interrupted you, um, and I, I didn't mean to do that, but that's like a, a, whenever I get, it, I don't want to lose the question. Um, but go go ahead and say like you know you just you with with you and your relationship and um, things like that. You you doubted this story from the get go. So so I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead and f- finish and continue. Yeah, I'll finish off with. Yeah, I doubt it from the beginning because if it actually happened in a stadium with 5,500 people in there in a section that's full, I saw the pictures of how full the section was where it supposedly happened, and I saw that there's no way that there weren't multiple people that heard that being yelled by a singular person or multiple people. And I just don't, and and they're like, I don't care that there's no video because people don't have their phones out all the time to record. So that wasn't an issue to me. Some people said that, but that was never my thought. My thought was like, if it actually happened, you would think a dozen people would have said, hey, Yes, I have seen this occur and told the police. Because like I was saying, I've had it happen in social interactions before my wife and I were married when we were at a football game, a USF versus West Virginia football game, where they were calling us dykes and someone called me the N-word. And... Other people in our section all heard it. The cops came over because I asked the cops to have them removed. And there was verification from like six other people within our section. So I'm just saying, like, I just didn't believe it for a second because there's going to be people there. And it's also, it's BYU. I just can't believe that BYU would have people that would say that because I know Mormons and there's no way the entire group of Mormon people just allowed that to happen. Yeah. The, the interesting thing you bring up is that in this day and age where every single fucking person on the street is recorded with a cell phone over a questionable encounter like the 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 bird watcher in central park or whatever it could could be anything that you know uh hey here's a racist here's what did you say no say that whatever and then of course the media goes and does their thing they hunt that person down and they try to get them fired or whatever that in this day and age not a single person in that audience manage to catch any of this on video because that's kind of the natural reaction, especially with younger kids, 20, 18, 20 year olds is like, holy shit, I'm going to get this person on video and I'm going to go viral over this and I'm going to be a hero for this. And as of now, we don't have that. It could, I mean, whatever, that's everything has to be kind of, you know, stipulated under this does, this appears to not have happened, but you're right in the sense of two things is obviously somebody would have said something and then someone would have reported it both to police and probably to the journalists. And two, there's prob there would probably be video of this person. And again, 
you're a first person account of saying like, we don't have any of that in this case. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, one of the points of just no corroboration and that's Mm -hmm. fine, but we should have had a media that would say, we can't corroborate this. Maybe we should not, you know, put her godfather or put her father on television and whose godmother is running for a state seat in Texas. Yeah. It's like, because maybe someone didn't have their phone out at the exact time that it happened. I understand that there may not be video, but if it happened multiple times, like they said it did every time she served in that match, you would think there would be multiple people that would have heard that and they could have found whoever was sitting in that section and asked them a question like, did you hear this being said? And that has never been corroborated. Not a single person has. No one has admitted it. So it's it just, from day one, it didn't make sense to me. And I thought it was bullshit. It's it certainly it certainly looks that way, um, Jacqueline. Thank you, thank you for uh, sharing your story. Um, thanks for putting up with my ribbing on soccer. Um, <laughs> from a, hey, been, from a hockey these, from a hockey player, no less. So um, I've been but with, the, you, with you from the conservatarians, and uh, I'm geez. also a hockey fan. But you know, I'm your hated Lightning fan. Oh so. man! Oh okay. Well, I don't hate the lightning. I I don't hate. I never hated the lightning. I hated them because I because how boring and good they were, and I don't like good and boring. I like you know flashy and good. Um, I, I would say also that there were some with color. The Avalanche were very business like, and so I like that as well. Um, it's also one of the reasons, like, I hate that Denver has Russell Wilson. I'm just, I'm, I, I like that they have a good quarterback, but I'm just over it already. Um, but so that, that's always my thing with the Lightning. It's, it's really fucking hard to hate Steven Stamkos. That's what I don't like about the Lightning. There's other guys <laughs> I can hate, um, but it's, it's also hate. It's hard to hate Burakovsky. It's hard to hate that team. It's just like, I hate teams that just win for three, four, five years. And I'm glad Colorado at least stopped that from happening. So, um, I don't hate them like I hate like the St. Louis Blues or the Minnesota Wild. So t- I guess you can take. Well, solace in we that. got we got we got Maroon from the Blues, and he won three cups in a row with us. So, or with he, well, one with them, and then two with us. Yeah, so. he, yeah, almost. And who else? You got you guys got. It wasn't Corey Perry. Who was it? It was Corey Perry. Oh, Perry. Yeah, who's, we got who's, Perry. He's lo- He lost three in a row with three separate teams, and I just I love yeah. that. I just I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, just hang him up. You're not gonna he kept do it. changing. Yeah, he kept changing teams to try to win. Yeah, so who? Yeah, he just kept. I don't losing. know. Is he still? Is he still on Tampa Bay, or did he free agent somewhere else? Because wherever he free agented to is going to be the team Colorado faces in the playoffs in the, in, in the Cup next season. I'm not 100 so, sure. I haven't I'll have to, I'll, have to, I'll have to look that up. So, but yeah, I'm your resident Lightning fan on the. On the Patreon and everything. All right. So. All right. <laughs> All right have a good one. Jacqueline, yeah, thank you. And thanks for you. You definitely have a unique perspective that uh, I certainly don't have and what I'm sure many people here don't have. So thanks for your thoughts. Hey, no problem. Cheers. And that's going to do it. So, so there, we did it tonight. We solved uh, the racial grievances in all of the country. 
Um, and we did it in just a little bit over an hour and a half. So we've done it again. Um, so again, thanks everyone for tuning in. This was a fun one. Uh, a lot of good stories, a lot of good callers. And uh, again, if it's uh, your first time uh, jumping in like this, you know the format. Don't ever be afraid. If you're a long time, don't ever be afraid. Uh, I, I don't pre-screen these calls. I've been accused of that, which is hilarious. Um, I take them in order and we just kind of listen to each other and hear each other out. And uh, again, this was a good one. So thanks to everyone for your stories. Uh, I'll be back on versus media podcast tomorrow um after again i'm personal training so that should be fun um so sometime in the afternoon i may try to uh, slip in another call in tomorrow night uh depending on topics or demand i know grandpa's giving his speech so uh i may wait to do a post speech one because i'm sure he's going to rev people up and unite the country as he's really good at doing um so we may do this again tomorrow night so go feel free to set aside an hour or so and jump in and uh, again, thanks everyone. Uh, you've made us, you've made me at least the top second rated show on all of Colin. And that's, you know, they have a pretty impressive roster of people who host. Uh, I'm second behind Brianna Joy Gray. And um, I don't think I'm going to beat that because I think she does like three Collins every night. <laughs> so, but I wanted to say thanks. And also, uh, as we wrap the month down, thank you for your support over on Versus Media on Patreon. Um, I'm subscriber driven. I don't have sponsors. I don't have commercials. I don't have anything like that. So as long as I have subscribers over there, um, I keep doing it. And I know I always give the canned thing in my podcast, but at least you can hear me say it live here. So once again, thanks for another month over on Patreon. Thanks for another month of support here on call in. And, uh, I will see you guys one way or another tomorrow. And as always, don't ever talk to journalists and certainly not Jameel Hill. Cheers, everyone.